This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa al-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidil Mursaleen Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi Wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yumiddin Alhamdulillah We're a bit slow getting started here uh, People are coming out a little bit later today But inshallah We'll go ahead and get started We were just trying to hold off To see inshallah if a few more people could end up getting here uh, whenever we're studying particularly a surah and in, uh, a surah in its entirety from the Quran, there are some very very important themes and very important topics and ayat that are relevant to one another and that are deeply connected to one another. And especially whenever we do study the surahs in the format that we've been doing the past few seminars, we it's very important to try to connect the the overall sequence of the surah and show how the, uh, the arguments and the concepts and the themes that are being presented in the surah, how they are pieced together. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very uh, amazingly puts this whole conclusive argument together. So for that reason, it's of the most benefit to everyone. If they're able to um, be here from beginning to end, but inshallah, we're going to go ahead and get started now. This for this class, we had chosen the subject matter of Surah Fussilat, and the title that we had picked was Falsehood Unraveled. This is, in actuality, it's a very, very complex, a very extremely deep surah, and it addresses a lot of different themes. But to best summarize all the themes put together, is basically how this surah not only outlines the method for dismantling whatever falsehood is present in a society or in a community, but at the same time, the surah also presents the... It explains how falsehood comes, basically is overcome. And it also gives a strategy and it gives a, an action plan. It gives a game plan to the believers what they have to follow, what they have to do in order to overcome whatever falsehood has become dominant within the society and within the community. So inshallah, we'll go ahead and get started with the material. Now this is a tafsir of Surah Fussilat. And the very first question that we'll answer is a question very much probably in the forefront of the minds of the people. And that is that if you pick up a particular mushaf, a particular print of the Qur'an, then you see the name of the surah Fussilat. The name of the surah given is Fussilat. But if you pick up some other prints of the Qur'an, especially I've noticed uh, more so the Qur'ans that are printed within the subcontinent, India, Pakistan, so on. Then the name of the surah oftentimes given is Hamim As-Sajda. Hamim As-Sajda. So to explain exactly what's the connection here, is there a contradiction, are there multiple names, can there be multiple names for a surah? So briefly to explain this, the names of the surah 
oftentimes were sometimes given by the Prophet ﷺ. He would refer to a surah based with a title or a name, but the names of the surah are not conclusive by any means. It's not that it's divinely revealed that this surah can only be called this. But rather the names of the surah are based on the central theme, the central concept. Maybe the Prophet ﷺ referred to it in a certain way. And there is the very possibility of one surah having multiple titles and multiple names being used when referring to it. We see this in the example, the most common example is Surah Al-Fatiha. We see this in Surah Al-Fatiha. We call it Surah Al-Fatiha, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an refers to it as Sab'a al-Mathani, the seven very oft-repeated verses, the ayat. The Prophet ﷺ has also given it certain names such as Ash-Shifa, it, it is a cure-all, and so on and so forth. So there are other names that are used for different different surahs, and this is very possible, and this by no means is any type of a contradiction. So there are two primary names for Surah Fusilat. The first one is Fusilat, which comes from the root of the word Fasala, which means to differentiate or to in detail explain and explicitly detail something. To explicitly detail something. To categorize things, to separate one thing from another, categorize them, organize them, and explicitly detail those things. That is the meaning of Fasala. It's a very comprehensive meaning. It's a very comprehensive meaning. So it means to categorize things, separate things, and then in detail explain them. That is the meaning of Fasala. So the word Fuslilat, it literally means something that has been explained in a great amount of detail. Something that has been explained in a great amount of detail. So Fuslilat is something that has been explained explained in a, in a very fine manner, in a great amount of detail, and things have been very properly organized and uh, explained. So this is the first name of the surah. Why is this the name of the surah? It will become very evident when we, see, when we read the surah, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala separates the truth from evil very clearly, very distinctly, very explicitly in the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala details the methodology of da'wah within this surah, how the da'wah needs to be carried out, very, very in fine detail. It has been explained. And the other thing above everything else, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself describes the Qur'an as fussilat. Kitabun fussilat ayatuhu. Its ayat have been explained in a great amount of detail. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself uses this word to describe the, the Qur'an and the ayats of the Qur'an. So this is why it is called Fusilat. The second name, like I mentioned before, that we find uh, in certain uh, prints, Mus'haf, uh, of the surah is Hamim as-Sajda. Hamim as-Sajda. Of course, Hamim refers to the beginning ayah of the surah, which are the huruf al-muqtta'at, the disjointed letters. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Hamim. As-sajda, which means to perform sujood, to prostrate, to put your forehead on the ground before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of humility and out of submission. Now, why is it called Hamim as-sajda? There are many surahs in the Qur'an that begin with what we call the huruf al-muqatta'at, the disjointed letters. Alif, lam, mim, hamim, qaf, noon, sad, so on and so forth. So there are many surahs in the Qur'an that begin in this manner. Out of all the surahs that begin in this manner, 
there is one surah, Alif Lam Mim, which has a sajda in it, which includes a sajda, sajda to tilawa, a prostration that is done due to recitation. And that is what we call surah to sajda, or Alif Lam Mim sajda the surah that comes after surah Luqman and comes before surah Al-Ankabut. The next thing is out of all the Hamim surahs that we find, there are six surahs that begin with the Hamim. One of them, there's a seventh one, but that just doesn't have Hamim. It has Ayn, Seen, Qaf after it. So there are seven surahs that begin with Hamim. Six of them just have Hamim. One surah to Shura has Ayn, Seen, Qaf in it as well. Out of all these Hawamim, out of all these Hamim surahs, there is only one that has a sajda. And that is this surah, Surah Fusilat. So for that reason, it's called Hamim As-Sajda. The surah that begins with Hamim and also includes a sajda. So that is why this surah is also given this name. Now the introduction of the surah, a little bit, let's familiarize ourselves with this surah and what we can expect from this surah. The very first word that will familiarize ourselves with is Hawamim. It's a sense of a plural. It's the title that is given to all these surahs, the six or seven, as I explained, that began with the disjointed letters Hamim. All those surahs, this refers to that. The surahs beginning with Hamim. Now, there is something very, very interesting about all these surahs. All these surahs are very, very intimately linked and they are very, very connected, especially in terms of their themes and the concepts and the ideas being presented within the surah. All these surahs are connected and they have a lot to do with one another. So there's a very, there's a very uh, strong development of certain concepts by means of these six or seven surahs. The very first thing to note about all the surahs that begin with Hamim is that they are all Makki surahs. They are all Makki surahs. They are basically revealed, they are all revelation from the time period of the Prophet ﷺ being in Makkah. They are all from that time period. The second thing to note about these surahs is that all these surahs begin by stating the magnitude, the importance, the value of the Qur'an. All these surahs, they begin by stating the magnitude and the importance and the value of the Qur'an. Let us observe a little bit. One of these surah Fusilat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by saying, Tanzeelun min ar-Rahman rahim This has been divinely revealed. This Qur'an has been divinely revealed from ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Kitabun Fusilat ayatuhu. Its, its ayat, its, uh, its verses have been detailed and explained very clearly and very explicitly. Another surah, surah Jathiyah, begins, Hamim, Tanzeelul Kitabi, min Allah al-Aziz al-Hakim. Surah Al-Ghafir, Tanzeelul Kitabi, min Allah al-Aziz al-Alim. Wal-Kitabi al-Mubin, Surah Al-Dukhan. Surah Al-Ahqaf, Tanzeelul Kitabi, min Allah al-Aziz al-Hakim. Surah Al-Shura, Kathalika yuhi ilayka wa ila al-ladhina min qablika Allah al-Aziz al-Hakim. So in all these surahs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by stating the importance of the Qur'an. This has been revealed by none other than Allah Himself. That this is a book that is very clear. This is a book that is very defined. This is a book that is manifest. So all these surahs stay, begin by stating the importance and the magnitude and the power of the Qur'an. And being Makki surahs, this is very, very appropriate. 
Because Mecca was the initial da'wah period in which the Prophet ﷺ, his main focus, and even within the Qur'an, the focus was to, uh, the, the, the struggle was to focus the people, motivate the people towards the life of the hereafter, towards accepting the divine instructions that are being given to them. So this is why, this is how these surahs begin. One other very interesting thing, all of these surahs that begin with Hameen, they all talk about in some capacity or another, all these surahs address the message or the struggle, the prophethood of Musa alayhi salam. All these surahs make a mention of Musa alayhi salam and his da'wah, and his da'wah, his mission, his preaching to his people. Now, what, what are some of the lessons we're able to extract from this? You could almost say that it would make a little more sense, that it would possibly make more sense, it would possibly be log more logical for surahs that are in the Medinan period to be addressing the situation of Musa alayhi salam rather than surahs that are from the Meccan period. Because in Medina you actually had the Jews as neighbors of the Muslims. So there was a connection. By presenting the story of Musa alayhi salam, you're actually showing them that this is a continuity of the faith that they think that they're practicing at the moment. They believe themselves to be upon the faith of Musa alayhi salam. So this is, will display to them there's a continuity. So Medina surahs do no, no doubt make a mention of Musa alayhi salam. But even in Makki Qur'an, it plays a very, very vital, a very important, a very critical role to make the mention of Musa alayhi salam in Makkan Qur'an. Even though the people being addressed, giving the da'wah to are mushrikeen. They don't believe in Musa alayhi salam as a messenger, as a prophet. They have no concept of prophets. The purpose there was to show the prophet, not only to the prophet sallallahu of course he had full conviction in this, but to reaffirm the prophet sallallahu but in particular to show the Muslims. Because remember in Makkah the Muslims are a handful of people. They're an extreme, they're a very small minority. They're extremely oppressed. And they're living in very, very desperate situations. So you have a very small minority that is extremely oppressed. So there can be a sense of hopelessness beginning to set in. Despair can begin to set in. A person can start to almost see himself as there's something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me that I'm in this situation and that I'm in this predicament. Maybe I need to rethink what I'm doing here. Maybe I need to re, uh, reassess my strategy here and what I, the commitment that I have made. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by mentioning the story of Musa alayhi salam was also strengthening the faith of the believers and showing them that you are not the anomaly. Because remember the people of Makkah were telling the Muslims, something's wrong with you people. Our fathers, our grandfathers, our generations before have always worshipped these idols, have always lived life in this manner. And then you come all of a sudden and now you have a completely different faith system and a different belief system and a completely different way of life. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's, what's, what's come over you? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is strengthening the faith of the believers. He's consoling the believers by telling them, nothing is wrong with you. You're doing exactly that which is right, that which is natural, that which is the continuing tradition. Look, there were prophets before you. 
There were believers before you. It is the people around you that are the anomaly. It is the people around you who have lost their way, who are off track. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing. So a very powerful message is presented here. All these surahs, they also are based on the concept of one, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, these surahs also very strongly teach and preach the concept of the unity of the Muslims. And they warn the Muslims from be, becoming divided amongst one another. This surah, these surahs also make a mention of how the messengerhood, the prophethood, has transferred, has transitioned from Bani Israel to the Ummah of the Muhammad, Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu Meaning, the Prophet has now come into the Arabs and has come to Muhammad sallallahu Muhammad sallallahu And then, one very important element of this is, in this surah in particular, does this. It emphasizes the importance of this responsibility of carrying on the message after the Prophet sallallahu Carrying on the da'wah, carrying on the message of the Prophet ﷺ carrying it on after him, it lays the importance of this upon the Ummah. And these surahs, they play this role. So the essence and the core of this surah, if you wanted to pick one theme, one central concept, that is the core, the essence of the surah, it is da'wah itself. And this surah very prominently mentions the Qur'an. There are certain surahs that bring up the Qur'an more often than others. For instance, Surah Bani Israel, Surah Al-Isra, mentions the Qur'an 16 times. It mentions the Qur'an 16 times. Surah Al-Furqan mentions the Qur'an half a dozen times. And this surah, Surah Fussilat, also mentions the Qur'an, brings it up again six times, half a dozen times. And by means of this, the core of the surah is da'wah. The Qur'an is constantly brought back up again, again and again in the surah. And the very first lesson, I like to call this surah Da'wah 101. This surah teaches us, the ummah, how to make da'wah. What is the methodology of da'wah? What is our approach to da'wah? What hurdles or what pitfalls do we need to be careful about when committing ourselves to making da'wah? And so the very first lesson that this surah lays upon us is the primary tool of da'wah, the main focus of da'wah, the main key, the main resource for making the da'wah will be the Qur'an. So da'wah is the core of the surah and it teaches us the Qur'an must be the forefront of our da'wah. It must be the primary tool that we utilize in order to make the da'wah. The next thing is that the, we talked about the themes and the essence of the surah, the circumstances of revelation. The circumstances of revelation, when the surah was revealed, it was at a very, very difficult juncture within the message, the da'wah of the Prophet ﷺ. And this was basically when the opposition had kind of reached a high point. The opposition had reached a high point. And they, they had began to become, a, they had tried abuse and torture and oppression and all these means. They eventually came down to literally trying to bribe the Prophet ﷺ to leave his da'wah and to leave his message. And there's a very, very um, profound incident in a story that is told, that has been narrated in the books of Sirah and the books of Hadith about what occurred when the surah was revealed. And it mentions basically that there are a few different narrations in the Musnad of Bazar and in Baghawi rahimahullah. He also mentions uh, this incident in this narration. I'll mainly be recounting this incident to you from the Sirah of Ibn Hisham. From the Sirah of Ibn Hisham. 
What it basically mentions, or I'm sorry, the Sirah of Ibn Ishaq, excuse me. The Sirah of Ibn Ishaq makes a very prominent mention of this incident. And it says that basically, Abu Walid or Utbah bin Rabi'ah was one of the leaders of Quraysh. And he was one of the elder statesmen of Quraysh. Utbah bin Rabi'ah. He was known as Abu Walid in his community. He was one of the more elder statesmen within the community. And he approached the Prophet was one time sitting near the Kaaba, and the leaders of Quraysh and Mushrikeen were sitting in the Kaaba. And he approached the Mushrikeen, the leaders, the rest of the leaders of Quraysh, and said, It's become really problematic what's going on with Muhammad. And so he said, Why don't you let me talk to him? Why don't you let me try to fix this problem for us? So they said, Yes, yes, please go ahead. You know, there's nobody better to solve this problem than you. Who else is more qualified to help us in this issue than you? So he went to the Prophet ﷺ and he began addressing the Prophet ﷺ. And he began to admonish the Prophet ﷺ by saying, you know, you're a very nice person, you were raised properly, you come from the best of family, you, you had good role models growing up. But then you started teaching this new religion You've caused division with our families. You've, made, you've caused husband and wife to fight and quarrel. People to doubt our way of life. People to doubt the faith that our people have been practicing for generations now. You've caused all these problems. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, go on talking, finish first. Let Go ahead and finish. And so he went on and on and then he started advising the the Prophet said, why don't you give this up? Why don't you leave all of this? If you want money, let us give you money. If you want uh, to be a leader of Quraysh, let us make you a leader of Quraysh. Whatever it is you want, let us help you in that. Just stop what you're doing. This, this isn't helping anybody. This isn't good for anybody. Why don't you just stop this? The Prophet when he finally finished, the Prophet said, are you done now? He said, yes, I'm completely done. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, now let me speak and I want you to let me address what I'm here to address. So he said, go ahead. And the Prophet ﷺ began reciting from the beginning of the surah. Hameen, tanzilu min ar-Rahmani rahim kitabun fussilat ayat. He began reciting from here. And he recited all the way till around the, uh, I believe the 26th ayah of this surah. He recited all the way there. Almost there, I think the 23rd ayah of the surah, he recited till there, till he reached the words, فَإِنْ أَعْرَضُوا And if they turn away, if they neglect this reminder, فَقُلْ أَنذَرْتُكُمْ صَاعِقَةً Then tell them that I warn you of a very, very harsh, severe punishment that will come upon you. مِثْلَ صَاعِقَةِ عَادٍ وَثَمُودٍ Like the punishment that came upon the people of Ad and Thamud. And when he reached this point, the Prophet ﷺ, it comes in a narration that Abu Walid, Utbah bin Rabi'ah, he covered the mouth of the Prophet ﷺ with his hand and he said, that's it, don't, don't say anymore. I beg you for the sake of the relationship that we have, we're family, I beg you, don't say anymore. Very, very powerful. Inshallah, in the next session, it will be talking about some of those ayat that it speaks about and you'll see the power and the greatness of Allah that is stated within those ayat. So he was overcome by this. And... Then the narration goes on that basically, 
So one of the narrations, Ibn, Ibn Ishaq also mentions that the Prophet ﷺ reached all the way to the eye of the sajda, which is towards farther into the surah. He reached all the way to the eye of the sajda, and then the Prophet ﷺ performed the sajda, and then he said, you've heard what I had to say, now go do what you think you have to do. And Abu walid Utbah, he began walking back to his people, and the people said, we looked at his face and we thought that something's off about him. Something's changed, something's not right. And he asked us, uh, we asked him, what, what happened? What's the news? So Abu walid Utbah, he said some very, very powerful words. He said, inni sami'atu qawlan wallahi, I've heard something that I swear by Allah, ma sami'atu mithluhu qattu. I've never heard anything like it ever before. Wallahi ma huwa bisihr, wala bishi'ar, wala bil kahana. He said, I swear by God, this is not any type of magic or poetry or any type of soothsaying. And he said, O people of Quraysh, listen to what I'm about to tell you. And let me tell you how to deal with this problem and this situation that you have. He said, He said, get out of the way between this man and what his objective and what his goal is. Get out of the way. Let him do what he has to do. Why? He said, because what he is saying will reach a great prominence at one point in time. What he has to offer will one day reach a very, very high point. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And if the Arabs, they end up defeating him, the other people of the Arabs, then your job is done for you. He's out of the way anyways. But if they end up accepting him and his message and what he has to present, which I do suspect that they will, he says then, by him becoming king, you will also become kings. By him becoming honorable and, dis- and having respect and authority in the land, you will also get respect and authority in the land because you are his people. And you will end up reaching great heights by means of him. So get out of his way. So the people began to say that, oh, he's Muhammad wasallam has enchanted uh, Utbah with a spell. And Utbah, he basically told the people, he said, this is my advice to you, you're free to go and do whatever you'd like. So this incident occurred, and this relates here to the beginning of the surah. Now, very briefly, to cover some of the basic elements of some of the ayat, the first eight ayat I'll be discussing with you very briefly here. The very first ayat is Hamim. These are the disjointed letters. Like I mentioned before about them, these appear different places in the Qur'an, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best what they mean. But one of the benefits of these disjointed letters is that this is a sign of the, this is one of the literary features of the Qur'an. These are the same letters that the, that the Arabs were familiar with, that their language is compromised of, but they had never heard them being used in, these, in this manner before. Tanzilu min ar-Rahman rahim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the Qur'an, doesn't call it kitab just yet. He says tanzil, it has been revealed, sent down from Allah. This is to show that this Qur'an that is being presented is connecting back to who? None other than Allah. To give the Qur'an importance. And it has come from Him. Min means it has come from Him. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. These are the two attributes of Allah that are mentioned. There's a lot of discussion as to the exact meaning of these attributes, what they mean and what's the difference between the two of them. They both come from the root of Rahma. Rahman means the, the, the opinion that I personally feel strongest about and that is also most likely the most linguistically sound. 
is Rahman refers to the one who has an abundance of mercy. And Rahim is the one who is constant in his mercy. So this, this is a revelation from none other than Rahman and Rahim himself. So take it with great importance, what is about to be said. Kitabun Fusilat. This is a book, Fusilat Ayatuhu. Its ayat have been, its, its verses have been very clearly laid out. And I explained the meaning of this word before. Qur'anan Arabiyan. Qur'anan Arabiyan. A Qur'an, something that will be recited, something that is recited with a great amount of frequency. Arabiyan in the Arabic language. Now there's a connection here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically telling us, this Qur'an, this book is very clear. Very clear and very evident and very manifest. And one of the means by which it is so clear and so manifest is because it is in the Arabic language. The miracle of the Qur'an is in the Arabic language. The, 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 the Qur'an, and we'll see this in one of the later sessions today, it'll actually talk about that if this Qur'an would have been revealed in any other language besides Arabic, then people would have actually objected and they would have complained that why is this Qur'an not clear? The thing that makes the Qur'an clear is the fact that it is in the Arabic language. And this is a lesson, sort of a reminder to all of us, that we need to constantly commit ourselves to learning the Arabic language, precisely that Arabic, which is the Arabic of the Qur'an. The classical form of the language, the Qur'anic Arabic. We need to remain students of that language throughout our entire lives. And we need to commit ourselves, because that really gives us the real message and the real impact of the Qur'an. Arabian لِقَوْمِ يَعْلَمُونَ So people can know. Once again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the Qur'an here to begin the surah. It is the primary and the essence of doing da'wah. So three qualities of the Qur'an will be mentioned here. The first is that's very clearly explained and defined. And the two will be in the next ayah. Bashiran wa nadira. These are the two next qualities of the Qur'an that are mentioned. It gives good news. It, it gives good news, it motivates people, and it warns people. And these same qualities have also been attributed to the Prophet ﷺ in the Qur'an as well. He has also been called Bashir and Nadir. And Allah says in Surah Maryam, لِتُبَشِّرَ بِهِ الْمُتَّقِينَ وَتُنْذِرَ بِهِ قَوْمًا لُدَّ So you can, the people who are righteous, who have God consciousness, you can give them the good news and the glad tidings, and you can warn the people who are disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who are off the way. So these are two very important qualities of the Qur'an. And this once again is emphasizing to us the methodology of da'wah is continuing to be laid out. The importance of da'wah, the da'wah must be you, the first primary tool must be the Qur'an. And da'wah must first begin, Allah first says Bashir and then He says Nadir. The da'wah must begin by giving people good news and motivating people ahead of warning and scaring people. فَأَعْرَضَ أَكْثَرُهُمْ فَهُمْ لَا يَسْمَعُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they فَأَعْرَضَ أَكْثَرُهُمْ Most of them, they neglect it, they ignore it, they don't pay attention to the Qur'an. فَهُمْ لَا يَسْمَعُونَ They don't even bother to listen. This is the eloquence of this statement, that if you don't even bother to listen, how can you ever understand something? They're not even willing to listen. Like we complain to somebody, somebody's not even, you're not even listening to me, how are you going to understand what I'm, doing, going, what I'm trying to tell you? That's what Allah says, these people aren't even willing to listen. How is it ever going to penetrate into their hearts? It won't. 
And what do the mushrikeen say? The Quraysh they say, قُلُوبُنَا fi akinnatin. Our hearts are in a covering, in an envelope, in a wrapping. مِمَّا تَدْعُونَا إِلَيْهِ And it's, it's preventing us from that. The wrapping that is around our hearts is preventing us from that which you're inviting us to. وَفِي أَذَانِنَا وَقَرْ And there's some type of an obstacle, a barrier within our ears. وَمِن بَيْنِنَا وَبَيْنِكَ hijab. And there's an obstacle, there's a separation between us and you. فَعْمَلْ إِنَّنَا عَمِلُونَ You do what you gotta do, let us do what we have to do. Why don't you mind your business, we'll mind our business. So these are once again three statements of the Quraysh. First of all, our hearts are covered, nothing's getting through. The second thing is, there's some obstacle in our ear, we can't understand you, we can't hear you properly. And the second thing is, there's a barrier, there's an obstacle between us. There's also a lot of eloquence built into this ayah as well. They themselves are stating that their hearts are enveloped, are covered. And in their ears is a weight. The word waqar, the word waqar comes from the root wiqar, which basically means when you load something onto an animal that is so heavy that the animal can't move properly, can't move at full speed. So literally they have such some type of an obstacle in their ears, they themselves are stating that doesn't allow them to hear properly. They can't even hear properly. وَمِن بَيْنِنَا وَبَيْنِكَ hijab. If you ask the, the scholars and the, the people that are familiar with the language, saying, بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَنَا hijab also makes sense. Between us and you is an obstacle. But to say, مِن بَيْنِنَا وَبَيْنِكَ hijab, it means that there's some type of a separation, an obstacle all the way from us, all the way to you. There's no way that we can reach you. The word hijab doesn't just mean like a curtain. The word hijab means a curtain that is a barrier as well, a separation. So they're saying, we can't even reach you, so don't worry, you do what you have to do, and we'll do what we have to do. Now once again, the lesson in da'wah continues. These people were just extremely rude and dismissive with the Prophet ﷺ. They said, look, our hearts are covered up, we won't understand what you have to say, we don't want to hear what you have to say, we can't even get near you, just do what you have to do. Why, why are you messing with us? Look at the response that Allah is teaching the Prophet ﷺ in the Qur'an. How to make da'wah. When your da'wah is met with negativity, respond how? With humility. Respond with humility. إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ I am nothing but a human being just like you. I am nothing but a human being just like you. Don't meet their negativity with negativity. This is something that I'll talk about later on in one of the sessions. But we see this right here. They responded with negativity. The Prophet ﷺ counters that with more positivity. Speaking positively, speaking with humility, with humbleness, kindly, gener generously. And then what's the very first element of his da'wah? Yuha ilayya. There is one difference. I have been given divine revelation that there is no one worthy of worship but Allah. That your Lord, the one that is worthy of your worship is only one. So once again, Tawheed, the mention of Allah, must be the beginning and must be the core of our da'wah. فَاسْتَقِيمُوا إِلَيْهِ So try to do right by Him. Basically make yourself upright for His sake. Fix yourselves. Do good. Try to be good for His sake. وَاسْتَغْفِرُوهُ And seek forgiveness from Him. 
Good deeds must always be followed with seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed regretful and remorseful is the situation of the people who do commit shirk. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْتُونَ الزَّكَاةِ They are people that do not give zakat. Now we think that means giving zakat. But some of the mufassireen, they present an objection here. They say this is a Makki surah before the injunction of zakah, the command of zakah, the institution of zakah had been implemented. So if it doesn't mean zakah, what else can it mean? So there's two answers. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, he says that look, the exact rules and the structure of zakat came in Medina. But just zakah as giving to the poor and the needy was a teaching that was already there from before. And this is what it's referring to. Give to people, be generous, be kind, help people in need. The other explanation is that here zakah means its literal meaning, which means purification. Make an effort to purify yourselves. And now the next question is, why not mention salah here? Why mention zakah? Why are the mushrikeen, the people who don't give zakah, why didn't it mention that they're the people who don't perform salah? The reason here is because remember I told you, the circumstances at the time of the revelation of the surah was such that these people were abusing they were abusing the Muslims. So they were committing a great transgression in their dealings with the people. Zakah is not only, giving zakat is not only a sign of iman, but also it shows your care and consideration for other people. So Allah mentioned specifically the quality that they were most in need of. Because they were treating the Muslims even worse than they would treat animals. وَهُمْ بِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ kafirun. And they, when it comes to the life of the hereafter, they most definitely are, reject, are rejecting the life of the hereafter. The word, if you look, the word hum is being repeated here. The word hum is being repeated here. What is the purpose of repeating the word hum? It's trying to emphasize that these people were completely, out, outrageously, rejecting everything about the life of the hereafter, and then finally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while mentioning the people who are doomed and the people that their fate is remorseful and regretful, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the other group of people, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Certainly the people who believe in Allah and they follow that with good righteous deeds. I'll talk about the connection between iman and a'mal in one of the later sessions today. لَهُمْ For them is أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ Ajurun غَيْرُ mamnun Is a reward or recompensation, is a compensation, a recompense. غَيْرُ mamnun One that will never be interrupted. One that will never be discontinued. So two things I'll point out to you here. The word ajr is used. Later on in the surah, we'll see another word being used for retribution or recompense, for compensation. The word ajr is more appropriate here because ajr means when you receive something, in exchange or as a result of some work that you've done. Since this ayah mentions, amilu salihat, they do good deeds, therefore it's more appropriate that the word ajr is used. Because this reward is being given to them because of the hard work they're putting into doing good deeds. So remember this distinction, I'll remind you of it later on in one of the sessions. غَيْرُ mamnun, Such a reward that it will never be interrupted, will never be discontinued. What's the significance of this? That there is actually in the hadith of Abu Musa al-Shari radiallahu anhu from Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet 
mentions that a person who is very regular and consistent in doing good deeds and consistency in action, steadfastness, is a theme of the surah. A person that is regular and consistent in doing good deeds, if some circumstances or some situation comes upon him where he's not able to do it, his action gets interrupted due to some very valid reason in his life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not discontinue his reward. He continues to keep on receiving the reward. So if a person comes for Salat al-Fajr every day in the masjid and prays Salat al-Jama'ah in the masjid, every single day, consistently, regularly, and then he falls ill, he gets sick, and he's not able to come to the masjid for a couple of days, his reward, he doesn't miss out on the reward for those days. His reward continues, and Allah rewards him every single day, as if he is coming to the masjid, praying in congregation. This is the type of reward that will be given to these people insha'Allah. And so the, as a last thing, we see the symmetry that is beginning to be formed here in the surah. فَأَعْرَضَ أَكْثَرُهُمْ فَهُمْ لَا يَسْمَعُونَ These people, they don't even want to listen to the guidance. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, this has been revealed from Rahman and Rahim. You need to listen to this. These people are saying our hearts are enveloped. We just don't understand. Allah is saying, فُصِّلَتْ ayatuhu. These ayat have been clearly explained to you. What is it that you don't understand about this? And these people say, فِي آذَانِنَا waqar. There's an obstacle in our ears. We, we don't really comprehend it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Qur'an and Arabian. It's speaking to you very clearly, very eloquently, very beautifully, in your own language. What is it that you don't understand? What obstacle is it to you for you to hear it, and understand it, and listen to it?